So, Adam, what's the best thing about comedy clubs? Leaving them. <laughs> there is no good part about being in a comedy club. Chris, have you ever gone to an actual comedy club and sat down and watched a comedy show? I have. There used to be, when I lived in Portland, there was a comedy club that if you managed to get on their phone list, they would call you every couple of weeks and offer you free tickets. And every once in a while, I would take them up on the offer and go and see a show <laughs> and regret it. I think I think you've confused it with uh, that particular I think you've confused that particular Portland Comedy Club with all comedy clubs. <laughs> this is a game that has done it every single one of them. <laughs> Do not sign up for the mailing list. I believe the club was called something like Yuck Yucks or Ha Ha's or The Funny Jerk. I don't remember what it was called. Tickle the Funny Hole, yeah. They all have those kinds of names. They're all terrible. Um yeah, comedy clubs are pretty dreadful environments to do comedy there there's something to be said for the fact that in newfoundland there was a yuck yucks that was built that was far away from the downtown scene which is where you'd want a comedy club and was instead in a kind of box store hell where there wasn't even a bus stop it was yeah it was the most recent one it's the most newly built so it was a little bit bigger and a little bit fancier or cleaner. I don't know. But all comedians who had come through, having been to uh, the Yuck Yucks because they're you know going on a quote-unquote tour, so they're kind of put on the funny person's roster at Yuck Yucks, and then is, they're sent from club to club to club in a logical order. So the person coming into St. John's has just come in from Halifax, and prior to that, they were somewhere close to Halifax. <laughs> Etc. Etc. <laughs> and each and every one of them would, as they would go by, would go, oh, you know, for a yuck yucks, this is pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> Which, given that most, uh, like, given that this yuck yucks looked like, hmm, it could be summarized as tacky theme restaurant. It does not speak well of the other yuck yucks. Of the other yuck yucks I have been in, just to, uh, for right now, limit us to that particular comedy club chain uh there was the one in ottawa that no matter how much you like flooded the lights everything seemed to be black and hazy <laughs> it was as though it was as though there were spirits in the room uh or as if you had wandered into the red room from twin peaks there was the one in halifax which was inside of a hotel where the stage was literally the width of a chair. Like, I took a chair to compare, and they were the exact same width. You could not move. You had to sit still and tell your jokes, or you would fall on the first three tables. So they tend tend to vary, but they were all bad. I I just did some some boring internet fact-checking, and it was not a Yuck Yucks. It was, uh, I think it was an indie one, but it was a Harvey's Comedy Club was the name of it. And it just closed this summer after 25 years of not making people laugh. And you will be uh, surprised to know that in the gallery on the on the uh, newspaper article that I'm looking at where they're showing people performing at mm-hmm. at Harvey's, it's all it's all angry dudes. Oh, no. What a surprise. You know what? I have to tell you this. I have to tell you this. At. At the Yuck Yucks in Halifax, which was one of the one of the worst shows that I have done. 
<laughs> it was organized by a stand-up fella by the name of Peter White. And he had booked uh, some locals in there, and I had gotten on. And one of the fellas that he brought on was dressed exactly like late 80s Andrew Dice Clay with, like, Ooh. leather jacket and spikes and stuff. Classy. Yeah. And I thought, it's like, there's no way. But he was, like, a small dude with, like, kind of a, a greasy hair and, like, kind of a, like a, a puffy yet open face. You know, he had the look of a, a – he, he had the look of a, of a sweet and gentle cow. So <laughs> I, I thought, it's like, oh, this is a man who's playing with contrast. Keep an eye on this guy. And about five comedians in, uh, he goes up. And he literally opens with this. These were the first words that came out of his mouth. Wanders on, nervously looks about, and he goes, Ah, so, uh, who here hates women, huh? <laughs> I had to follow that guy. That was fun. I mean, you can imagine a set that starts with that and then goes in a really good direction of tearing tearing the shit out of people who said, Yeah, I hate women. Like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like... Mm, yeah that that mm, it's an idea <laughs> sure and again like for a split second i'll be like no 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 he's playing a character there's no way right but, but, but it was totally sincere they're all playing a character <laughs> yes the character the character is oblivious male exactly but the yuck yucks chains are what they are and it's way better to play kind of independent venues so you're sometimes showing up in coffee shops you are sometimes playing restaurants which if they have some kind of designated space can be fun sometimes you are playing in bars that don't have a designated space so you are performing next to the washroom but because it is like kind of a cozy and intimate setting and it has been you know advertised the clientele knows it's like okay at 8 p.m on the slow day comedy takes over so mm. stay or leave <laughs> Uh, that can be a lot of fun because, you know, you have uh, an engaged group who nonetheless have to pass by you as they go to the washroom, which is right by the sound system. <laughs> so there's nothing quite like punctuating a, a lengthy but not quite successful joke with a flush. Yes. And so there's those. and and But I honestly thought that the best uh, the best venues to go in were music venues. Actually, like going to going to like bars that were set up largely – as like rock venues and things like that they were small they didn't always have seating so sometimes you had to deal with say standing room only right and if you're going to do that for a comedy show the people who come commit they're into it they're engaged so i've had a lot of fun with smaller music venues however this naturally brings up the question of what's it like actually doing that when that's your main stage Rather than like the treat that you get if you're a comedian. So as somebody who has been in bands and performed at various clubs of various types, um, I hated playing at clubs or I grew to hate them. I mean, the first couple times I played at a club, it was very exciting because I was I was a real rock person now. <laughs> but you know they're sort of miserable because, as you say, there are no seats. You have to stand. Uh, it's it's I I am not a person who enjoys standing for long periods of time, especially the way rock shows are set up, where the, you know they tell you what time the show starts. The show actually starts two hours after that, and that's the opening band, the middling band, and then the band you came to see. Mm -hmm. And so you're standing for ages, listening to stuff that you don't necessarily want to hear to get to the good stuff. Oh man, that's. That's interesting because, yeah, comedy shows are the exact same way. If you ever see a big name 
in uh, Toronto or in the greater Toronto area, it's always the host and the performer of note are advertised, but the host has essentially gotten everyone whose shows that he or she has done are calling in a favor. Right. And so you have 15 acts before the act you desperately wanted to see, and you're debating leaving just because you don't want to sit through another hour of open mic night before, like, a really good show that's going to start two hours after advertised. Yeah, I've never seen a comedy show. Like, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of comedy shows, but I've never seen a comedy show like that. I, the ones that I saw at Harvey's were, like, three acts, that, you, but you'd be sitting down at a table. They had a restaurant. Mm-hmm. It was overpriced and terrible. It's It's gone now. It's fine. But, yeah, um, comedy collapse. I like that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then I've seen... Uh, comedy shows like the one like when you and I went to go see Andy Zaltzman in Toronto and it was like a theater thing where it started on time and it was a room and it was you know t- seats and you went in and you sat down at your seat and you you got you, the show started and then it ended boom 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 it was really good that was that's that's what I like I like I like being able to plan around it so one of the reasons like it was fine to play at, at music clubs but I never liked going to them that much as somebody who wanted to hear bands and music and so it always eventually it started to feel really bad to expect our fans to do a thing that i didn't really want to do myself that seemed that seemed really unpleasant so i i stopped wanting to play at clubs uh also you know drunk people randos people who are desperately not into your music who are just there to talk and you know often didn't have a segregated area for them to go to uh, people who sometimes, you know, run up to the stage and say, hey, uh, right as you're setting up, they run, to, person runs to the stage and says, hey, uh, so I'm a dancer. <laughs> and would it be cool if I just danced behind you? It's, it'd be cool. And my friend like has a drum. He could play along. <laughs> just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> wow. Um, would it surprise you to know that every now and then comedy shows get accosted by burlesque dancers who also want to dance during and between sets? Ah, uh, yeah. Bet- between at least shows a sense of like proportion. <laughs> but during is ridiculous. Yes, exactly. What 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 every comedian wants is competition on stage with them during their act. <laughs> so uh, so I made a little list of some of the places, some of the other places other than traditional bars and clubs uh, that I've performed music at. Uh, so I've played at houses, at house shows. Uh, I've played at radio stations, which is always nice because people's deal of sound and you can pretend like a lot of people are listening even though it's like three <laughs> i've played in coffee shops which is awkward because espresso machines are really loud mm. and we were not the loudest you know we were uh, we mostly played acoustic so it was you know not super it was it was not great uh we've played in art galleries which is fine uh mm. although usually quite echoey but that's okay i've played in dance spaces uh which is also perfectly fine had a great time at some of those i've played in parks which can be really fun mm. i've played by the side of the road randomly or at organized things by the side of the road which is also nice and spontaneous and that's fine i don't know if you ever get to do comedy by the side of the road but uh no. give it a tr- give it a try sometime just pull over get out of the car for stretch your stretch your legs and then just you know start telling jokes to no one and see what happens Especially if there's literally nobody. We played a show once uh, for the mountains in Southern California just because we felt like playing a couple songs for nothing. <laughs> it was great. It was a really nice show. <laughs> Sometimes some shows are just for you, right? Uh, that is true. 
Uh, we played at a uh, family fun center. <laughs> this was the best paid gig I ever did, mm. certainly in terms of how much money we made per hour, because we it was a 15-minute gig for an event where uh, it was sort of at the end of the summer, the bank gives a big check to the Library Foundation for the successful Get Kids to Read program. And they wanted to have some entertainment before they handed the check over. So that so we got asked to write a few children's songs. We were not a children's band. We tended to do songs about, at that point, this is early on in our career, we were doing mostly songs about uh, my sexual frustration. <laughs> so I wrote a couple of songs, including songs that like later entered into our normal set list because uh turns out you know you can write a good song for kids and it could be really good for adults too probably better for adults actually uh because it was really weird to play sort of like having a burlesque dancer behind you it's also not fun to play at a place where you can also go rock climbing or go inside <laughs> and play in arcades or go swim in a thing and get splashed on or like there's a million things for you to do and all of the all of the kids were way more interested in doing that than listening to us the people who were listening to us were the mothers and their little babies that were in their laps. And well, all right, so we had three audiences when we were playing the show. We had the moms, the babies, and the kids who would occasionally stop and look at us. Now, the ba the babies have not yet learned how to be an audience. So they are staring at you dead-eyed. It's terrifying. Do not play a show in front of babies. <laughs> who are being made to watch you by eager parents. They, it was creepy. It was so weird. You just felt like you were dying in, in both ways. The mothers were also kind of terrifying to look at because they were super into it and they were bouncing their heads along and they were doing like, we're listening to a Raffi concert and everybody's happy and we're all going to the zoo and it's great. And it was just like so weird because it had, it had no connection to what was actually happening. They were just performing. We're at a happy event. It's great. Everybody's happy. So you'd look out at the audience, you'd see the babies, you get terrified. You look at the mothers, you get terrified as well. And then you go and you look at the kids who were super not into what we were doing. They were they had way better things to do. They would just look at us and go, "Huh, that's weird." And then go back to their thing. And that was the only human interaction. So I would just keep looking at these <laughs> 10-year-olds going like, "Okay, okay, somebody out there is somebody I can relate to even if they don't care about what I'm doing right now." But we made like $250 for 15 minutes of work. So that was good. Mm. Yeah, I, I believe that the equivalent uh, of that in the comedy world is the corporate gig. Mm, yes. In which you are given a list of do's and do not do's. And you are performing. And this is what they never tell you. But what always turns out to be true for a corporate gig, Chris, is that you will be performing during lunch. Oh, Yes. <laughs> so people are uh, people are like looking back at you, awkward smile, and then like looking at a uh, tray full of ribs, which they can't touch yet. Yeah, they, well, it's it's always a buffet style lunch. Oh, okay. So it's it's imagine doing stand up during a wedding reception, but the reception has not started yet. So people are starting to come in and ask coat check and and are wondering perhaps if they're in the right room. But all the food is here. So I don't know. Uh, it's a it's a very very uncomfortable experience, and you usually get two different kinds of messages during a corporate gig, which is that it's like, listen, this is a really cool environment. So you know what, you just like you're you're a crazy R-rated comedian, and you know what, like you can just say anything, man. I envy you. 
I wish I could be you. Instead, I just work here at this uh, paper factory. My God. I mean, what we do is important, sure. In many ways, more important than what you do. But the freedom, we, we don't have it. We crave it. We're in a, in a very highly paid jail here. But anyway, I want you to be free. I want you to say whatever you, you want to say. And you go, uh, okay. And you just think, okay, well, this is, this is somebody's place of business, so I probably shouldn't say fuck. Right. And and everything else is probably fair game. And right. then right before the show, or in at least one case, two minutes into the show, uh, someone will come up to you and go, oh, by the way, uh, well, there's recently been a death at the office, and uh, we really appreciate it if you don't say fuck <laughs> or bring up death. <laughs> and you're like, uh... <laughs> It, it it's yeah it's not great to perform for a funerary atmosphere despite my uh sadly unfulfilled dream of doing a set at a funeral parlor uh, <laughs> yeah i would think that would be the greatest thing if like all the comedians got out of caskets oh i, I was i thought you were going to be playing to the corpses no 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 I, again if i wanted to go to yuck yucks i'd be <laughs> at yuck yucks so the other place that i've performed music the, the, the last place on my list is I have performed it in a comedy club. Oh, cool. How was that? It was great is the weird thing. <laughs> so I had a friend back in Portland who was a stand-up comedian. And she was fun and all. And she was part of the scene there. And she was trying to she – was, she was hosting a night. So she was hosting a little a night uh, with some of her friends. And she wanted us to play in the middle to break it up a bit. Hmm. And we were like, sure, we are your friends. We will play at your show. I have no idea what to do. Like, we are not a comedy band. And she was like, you don't, don't be a comedy band. <laughs> I don't want you to be a comedy band. Just, just, just have a fun, like, 20-minute set. It'll be great. And we're like, okay. So we go, and we sit in the audience. Now, Portland is a, you know, it's not a small town, but it's small enough that if you're part of the scene, you know everybody else in the scene. Hmm. Uh, so everybody in the room was a comedian basically except us and they had all seen each other's acts before so we're watching the first few comedians come up and we hadn't seen them before so we were occasionally laughing as one does at comedy venues but everybody else was basically like oh he did it really well this time <laughs> it was like there was just these weird notes about yes i mean i'm not laughing because i've heard this joke five million times but that was a particularly fine delivery of that joke you go so we come up we it's our turn we go on and I think, if I remember correctly, one of us, it, it was me and my my, uh, my bandmate Charlotte, go on the stage, and one of us trips on our way up to the stage, and the other one makes a silly off-the-cuff remark about it, and it kills! Because <laughs> <laughs> it's literally fresh material. It's the first fresh material this crowd has heard all night, and we were like, okay and we just did our little set and we played our songs and we had a little banter between and all of it went super successful because again it was it was new stuff for them so it turned out that just being fresh i'm not saying we were that funny and we weren't trying to be funny in in the sense that a stand-up would i suppose so I, I, i'm not trying to say that we were super funny or that we should go into a career of that but what was really interesting was that when we were playing songs that we had played at like bars where people are there to drink and chat and hook up and whatever else 
And so people don't listen to music in bars. Music is just kind of there, ambiently. I mean, some people do, but quite a lot of people don't. You definitely, Mm -hmm. when you're on stage, you get the sense that people are not paying attention. Whereas in the comedy club, people were paying close attention because they were expecting it to lead to a punchline. I mean, that's my theory anyways, that they were paying a lot of attention because that's sort of what you do in a comedy club. I'm sure there are some comedy, or at least if, if you're in a comedy club filled with people who are into comedy, as opposed to having their bachelorette party yes (laughs) uh and that's one of the most notorious things about uh comedy clubs it's it's interesting it's interesting that that our experiences are kind of like polar opposites or or mirror versions of each other here because i've had really nice experiences either doing all comedy shows at bars or being the comedy event of an otherwise music heavy show right and those are those are lots of fun, and a lot of people do tend to pay attention to you because you're this new, fresh thing. The only time I ever had a bad experience doing a music show is, and I, this would go nameless if it weren't one of my brother's bands, but <laughs> one of my brother's lesser bands, because he's been in 17, uh, was doing a show. And my brother was not the creative main force. He was the a, a guitarist. And but it was not really his band, so it was suggested, and this was just when I started doing comedy. It was suggested, come on out, let's do a Halloween show, uh, and it'll be a lot of fun. And it wasn't his big band that does a Halloween show because he has a group called Fire Rain that does a show in Newfoundland every year, uh, for Halloween, and it's loads of fun. No, no, no. our other band's gonna do a show October 23rd, and that'll be fun too. (laughs) So we want to have a comedian there. Let's you, you, you do it. It'll be fun. And I thought, okay, I'll be one of several comedians. No, they, uh, they had the first two bands on. They did not say a comedian would be there. I was the only comedian while I got on and tried to do my act one. I thought it'd be fun if I, uh, took off my civvies and then like, uh, revealed that I was wearing a Halloween costume. So under, <laughs> underneath a, a jacket, and and black pants i could just reveal that i was wearing the star trek the next generation uniform mm. uh which goes well with black pants and i was like hey it's 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 Riker. hello and people just <laughs> kind of looked at me and i was i got three words into my first joke when i heard check 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 <laughs> and this moron who was in this band that my brother is in or was in thought this would be a good way to compress things instead of having a lengthy sound check after the comedy set they should be merged (laughs) so i keep trying to tell jokes i keep hearing uh not just checks but like people playing odd bits of notes or drumming and again if that had been coordinated that could have been a lot of fun but this right. was sprung on me as it happens. Occasionally, I would look at my brother, who would, who at this point was already pretty wasted, so he just gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> and then I'd look at the guy. Um, I don't know if you've ever met one of those dudes who like did a lot of acid and never came down. Sure. Yeah, so this Sid Barrett type, every now and then I'd just tr- give him a huge stink eye, and he would just kind of look at me as though, oh, this is one of those things I dream about. This This guy isn't really there. <laughs> and I hobbled my way through a set 
that was 10 minutes long and one of the longest 10 minutes of my life. That's the one bad experience that I had at uh, at a musical event. But otherwise, they're they're super, super fun. And I think that was so forgettable and people stopped paying attention that later on, people would talk to me as though it's like, oh, have you always been here? You, I like that you're dressed as Riker from Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> Uh, but I think it's I think it's also interesting to note that you had a super fun time at a comedy club. One, if it's full of comedians, they would rather watch anything than comedy, especially comedy from their peers. They can't help them. Yeah. And furthermore, the difference between a bar and a comedy club is that nobody goes to a comedy club to fuck except the comedian. <laughs> well, I got no offers that night. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Despite that great pratfall bit, this was one of the problems with having a uh, female bandmate was that people kept assuming that a I was straight and b we were a couple. Oh, so it didn't work out for either of you. So it wasn't. It wasn't. No, exactly. So did you ever try to make that? I guess like a, an intro at the bit to invite people to talk to you. Uh, you know, you could be like, "I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte." I'm straight. I'm gay. Please talk to us after the show. We're both very lonely. And then you just go on to the thing. I wrote a song specifically uh, for that purpose called <laughs> I Like Cock, parentheses, Hey Me Too. <laughs> now, uh, Chris, I, I, I'm familiar with that because I believe you wrote that for the soundtrack to William Friedkin's Cruisin'. <laughs> <laughs> So I will say that one of the things is that I haven't actually played that many shows at comedy venues, and I imagine you have way more experience with comedy venues than music clubs. So it just it's possible that we've just had, you know, more chances to have our hearts broken in, in the <laughs> default situation. Well, I'll say this. I'll say this. Having done house shows, house comedy shows and house variety shows uh, in particular are always great. Yes. Yes. House shows are the best. Yeah, that's that's the that's the best kind of show, and there really shouldn't be any other venues. Like bars should be strictly for people who want to pick up mm. and or get drunk. Yeah, sure, sure. But that's better at home too. So, <laughs> you're not funny is part of the Megaphonic Podcast Network. Learn more about all our fancy little shows at megaphonic.fm. Okay, so this is the part of the show where we're going to tell a joke on a topic. This week's topic is terrible places. So since I went first last time, Adam, why don't you go first this time so that the people can have a bit of funny before they listen to me flounder? <laughs> well, that's debatable. I'm picking something from, from early in my comedy days. But sure, Chris, I'll, I'll talk to you about a, a terrible place. And, you know, terrible places tend to form personalities. I mean, my father was formed in, in the jungles of Vietnam. Admittedly, it was a CBC airing of Platoon, but it counts. And uh, I myself, you know, experienced uh, pure hell uh, when I, I went to a, I went to a very dangerous place. Uh, I, I went to a school called Holy Heart of Mary, <laughs> and you know, there's every school. Every school has a, a bully, and they tend to have you know really tough names like Spike and Butch and uh, Moose and whatnot. And uh, you, you could tell just what kind of customer they were by their name. Anyway, the local bully's name was Joan. <laughs> and each and every time I would pass by the hallway, starting, you know, at the beginning of September when classes began, it was grade 10. Uh, the first thing I heard as I passed by Joan was, hey, you're fat. Now, most taunts involve a certain amount of wordplay, uh, perhaps a fatty something. Uh, 
Uh, if 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 my name was Patrick or Patricia, Fatty Patty, well, it just rolls off the tongue. But hey, you're fat is just blunt. And initially, I tried to think nothing of it because I don't know this person, and I think maybe they are just observant and concerned. For I have always been a husky lad, and that was true then, and it is true now. For I currently resemble a child's drawing of Paul Giamatti. But. I, this went on for 29 days. Every time I'd go through the halls, every time I'd pass by her hangout, I would hear, hey, you're fat. And again, no way to respond to that. And it never changed and it never got clever. But eventually, despite my mild-mannered nature and my desire to avoid conflict, I'd had enough. I had said, listen, Joan, listen, Joan, I may be a little bit on the chubby side. I've come to terms with that. But at least I didn't come here to waste my life as a guidance counselor. Why was eight afraid of nine? Because 9-11. <laughs> Look, airports weren't always sites of terrorism. They weren't always places where unexpectedly, with no warning, you could be pulled out of line, taken to a back room, detained, stripped, probed, terrorized, all because you wanted to go to your grandmother's funeral. Now, airports used to be weird and fun and magical. Once, back in the 90s, I had a layover in Cleveland. And the Cleveland airport, I haven't been there since, but then it was the airport that time forgot. It was all brown, brown carpets and long, brown hallways. And I was there at like 4.30 in the morning on a layover, and I was starving. And the only place that was open was a Cinnabon. Have you ever had a Cinnabon? It's basically a massive wad of dough and icing and butter and sugar, and it's sort of a chewable form of diabetes. It's not the sort of thing I would normally ever eat unless, you know, Jack Kevorkian wasn't returning my calls. And again, this was back in the 90s when Kevorkian jokes were hot. But anyway, I was hungry, <laughs> and so I ate the Cinnabon. I ate the whole Cinnabon. I ate the whole Cinnabon, and my stomach grew two sizes that day. I ate the whole Cinnabon, and I stared down the long brown hallway waiting for the sugar sweats to pass. I ate the whole Cinnabon. I ate the whole Cinnabon, and I survived. I survived to catch another plane. Because airports didn't used to be terrifying. They used to be magic. So, uh, uh, two things. Yeah. We are now two episodes in, and you are already into your airport material. I, I, you know, I came up with the, <laughs> I came up with the why was eight afraid of nine joke, and I just had to do airport material. <laughs> I was yeah. so happy with that joke, and I was like, I like airports. How am I going to do? I don't want to do airport material. It's boring. Uh, but uh, I just, uh, I wanted to do that joke. <laughs> Here's the thing. I would have been, I would have been so. Uh, again, it would have been all accidental wizardry because we don't uh, share our bits beforehand. But it would have been such accidental wizardry if I had done my fairly like lengthy bit, and then you had followed it up with just that joke, and that was it. Yeah, oh, that would have been so good. It would have been. It would have been. But you know, I felt like that joke. I felt like that joke alone didn't address the theme directly enough. So then oh, I had sure. to, So I felt like I, I felt like I, I felt like the prompt was pushing me to try to write a bit more. And I'm not saying that it was worth it. I'm not saying I wouldn't immediately cut the rest of that and just do just do the why I was eight afraid of nine joke. But also I had to look on the internet to make sure no one had ever done it before. <laughs> and they have it. People have made why I was eight afraid of nine jokes, but they are people who don't know how the original joke goes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, because 
um what was it wasn't it originally like why was eight afraid of seven because seven eight nine well, why was six afraid of seven because seven eight nine is oh. the is the canonical form of the joke and i love that joke and it's a joke that i tell uh my little my nephew who is now eight but uh, as he was growing up, every time I'd, every few years when I'd get to see him, I would try that joke on out out on him, and it got to the point where he understood that it was a joke mm. and it was funny. But he never it, well, I mean, he does now, I think. But for many years, he didn't understand what the joke was. He just <laughs> got that it was social laughter, and so when he would try to tell the joke back, it would be amazing because it would just be so wrong, <laughs> just go off in all these weird, weird tangents that had nothing to do with anything. And it was great. It was just it was just fascinating to try to test that same joke out on him at different stages of his development. And he's you know he's a very bright kid. He's an amazing kid. He's a very funny kid, even. But like mm. that particular joke just didn't click with him, and it was fascinating. <laughs> also, also, I'm that uncle. I'm that yes. uncle. Uh, you mean an uncle? I'm a really uncle uncle. <laughs> sure, but I mean, like you know, I, I, as as someone who is um, prematurely avuncular and has been for a very early age, you got to embrace that. Sure. Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah, I think I think other people's kids is a great excuse to tell bad jokes. <laughs> like you need an excuse. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's, like I said, it's a good excuse. I don't think it's a, <laughs> there's plenty of bad excuses to do so. <laughs> uh, but the other thing I was going to mention is that it's interesting that you know again people's influences are are easily detectable uh, when they start doing a thing because of course you had the whole Cinnabon. Uh, almost going into a word jazz uh, 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 rhythm that is very reminiscent of the repetition tactics of one Stuart Lee. I suppose, although although I've been watching a bit of Stuart Lee lately, or you know, watching as much as I can sort of find of him, mm-hmm. that has a lot more to do with poetry that I would write and techniques ah. I've gotten from that than it does from anything else, uh, <laughs> than it does from Stuart Lee, certainly. What, what, what tickles me about this, then, is that, okay, like, say... The success of both this podcast and your comedy writing career go far beyond your wildest dreams, and you are now a comedy superstar up there with the best of them, and you're being interviewed by Comedy Weekly or whatever uh, is a thing that exists uh, that won't be a paper magazine because those won't exist in the future. Uh, But a journalist of the comedic variety interviews you and asks you inevitably about your influences, pulls a Mark Maron and goes, hey, who are your guys? And your guy is Ken Nordine. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. My guy is Gertrude Stein. 